You're listening to the Sunday Schmooze with the Rabbi and the CEO, brought to you by Morse Life Health System, the gold standard in senior living. Now, back to your hosts, Rabbi Dovid Vigler and CEO Mitch Zachary. Not yet. Yes. Separating the facts from the fiction and the Bubba Mises from the bottom line. Good morning and welcome to the Sunday Schmooze with the rabbi and the CEO. Mitch Zachary is the CEO of Zachary Financial Consultants. I'm Rabbi David Vigler of Chabad Palm Beach Gardens, where you'll find traditional Jewish values for contemporary Jews just like you. Learn about us online at www.jewishgardens.com. That's www.jewishgardens.com. Com. Good morning, Mitch. How are you? Good morning, Rabbi. Rabbi, I want to congratulate you once again on a wonderful sermon yesterday. I, I, a, there was a lot going on. There really was a lot going on in that Parsha. This Parsha, which we read yesterday in the shoals around the world, was uh, the Ten Commandments. I mean, this is a big deal. This is the most famous portion, I'm sure, of the entire Torah, right? Uh, there's plenty of pretty good ones. You know, I got my favorites, but there was a lot going on. Why is it that the Ten Commandments are so famous? When you think about it, they're more famous than, you know, the passage that talks about, um, you know, the laws of the red heifer or the laws. How to build the uh, ark. The, the engineering of the, of, the ta- of the temple. I mean, why is it that the Ten Commandments are so famous? Probably because of how they were given. Because of how they were given, because they're pretty simple. You know, you don't need much interpretation help there. They're pretty simple. And, of course, they're great things to live by. You know, Mitch, I have to disagree with you. When you say that the Ten Commandments are great things to live by, I want to respectfully disagree. Okay. And I'll tell you why. Because, you know, when you imagine you were like, you were hearing a press release that on a certain day, the master of the universe is going to be giving his speech, one and only speech to mankind. I mean, I mean seriously, you know, this is like the State of the Union address. Nah, I think it would be bigger than the State <laughs> big, of the Union address. Big, but like, <laughs> the master of the universe is going to deliver his speech for the only time ever in, and in the future of the history of the world. You, you'd expect him to say something so extraordinarily profound, the secret to human happiness, right? Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, but I thought the Ten Commandments were pretty cool. I think that's uh, Mitch, you that's pretty the, important. But you look at the Ten Commandments, it's like, it's like, don't murder each other. Seriously, that's one of the Ten Commandments. Don't, don't be jealous of your neighbor's wife. I, that's important. Is it, this, but is this so important that it's got to represent like the whole purpose of, of, of man's existence on this earth? Well, you have to look at that a lot deeper. I mean, I look at that in terms of don't be jealous of your neighbor. Yeah, but Mitch, come on. I mean, if... if this is the one and only Because that speech. drives a lot of people crazy. <clears throat> you know, keeping up with the Schwartzes. That could keep Mitch, me, that look, gets people crazy. Let, let me speak from personal experience, okay? So here I am. I'm the rabbi of the Chabad. And I know that there's certain people that are only going to be hearing one sermon a whole year. Right? I know this. Right. But that's usually Yom Kippur. But go ahead. Right. Fine. So I have to think very, very carefully about what message I want to give these people when they hear one sermon a year. And by the way, our community has flourished. We're such a beautiful Shabbos in our community where we have almost 100 people every Shabbos at the Chabad of Palm Beach Gardens. It's beautiful. And I know that these people have one message for the whole week. 
right? That's so right. again, I have to think very carefully about what is that message that I want to be giving my congregation for this week or for this year. For some people that come to the high holidays, I know it's a message, the only sermon they're going to be hearing in 10 or 20 years depending on how bad the sermon's gonna be, I guess, right? So I've gotta think very carefully. I'm not gonna say basic stuff. I'm not gonna get up there and say, by the way, everybody, um, don't murder your neighbor <laughs> and uh, don't steal from the IRS. <laughs> I mean, seriously, if, imagine I got up and said that on Yom Kippur, I'd, I'd lose the crowd, I'd lose the congregation. And that's exactly what God did. You think he lost the congregation? Well, I, I think that there was a certain- I don't think so. I think it was anticlimactic. What's a start? You know, you're building on something. That was a start. Here's like the main things in life. You know, you're building on it. You know, now you, you go deeper and deeper, but... Mitch, come on. If you, I, I, think it's a good, I think it's a good starting Mitch, point. Mitch, I think... What, what, what I do you think been, you should have said? I would have experienced an epic sense of anticlimax when I would have been standing there waiting for... You know, imagine Albert Einstein. Just let's talk about a human being. Albert Einstein is giving a speech, the only speech he's ever giving in the United States of America, right? So he gets up there and he says, uh, one plus one equals two, and two plus two equals four. End of speech. I'd feel very disappointed because that's very basic stuff. Yeah, but at that time, that may, this might not have been so basic. Oh, now that's an interesting point you're saying. Because you're dealing with a cult today. We're yeah, looking right. back. You're talking we're about more people, advanced. Yeah, that came from uh, you know survival uh, of the uh, fittest. Uh, yes, uh, practicing idolatry, incest. You like your neighbor's sodomy. wife. Sodomy. You like your neighbor's wife. Just kill the husband, and you're right, good. Right. You know <laughs> what I mean? Was, Different morals then. Right. Uh, that's an interesting point, you're right. So we were living in a, in a society that was steeped in idolatry, that's steeped in adultery. That's the start, right? We have all kinds of laws that we live by, right? Stop at a red light or a stop sign. We, you know, we have all kinds of mundane laws, right? They had nothing, nothing, okay? And when you go through the, the, the stories in the Torah, and you see the ways, I mean, some of these stories are so graphically bad and evil. So I think they did need... Ground one. It's not Albert Einstein saying one plus one equals two. It's a judge saying, don't kill you. Don't kill. The, this is the foundation of society. Right. Don't but, kill. You know, I just want to explain, Mitch, so, to develop your point, is that you're coming from a society that would worship Pharaoh as their god. Right. I mean, these guys actually thought that Pharaoh was... God himself. Yeah, and let's talk about what happened when Moses was a day or two late coming down with the Ten Commandments. They just had a total... <laughs> total meltdown. <laughs> Literally. They, they, they didn't know how to deal. <laughs> they melted down all the gold yeah, to but, create all and, the gold to pray when, to. What happens when somebody important, like a pharaoh, would die? You know, that was one funeral you did not want to go to. Because when they buried a pharaoh, they buried the entire entourage with him. <laughs> including all of his pets and all of his servants. They were all buried in, in the pyramid. I mean, this is a society that didn't have high regard for human life or for human freedoms and liberties, right? So I do hear your point, Mitch, about saying that this is a very fa important fundamental fabric or foundation of society. But why would that be important for us? 3,331 years later, every year we read the Torah like we did yesterday, and it's an important event. You're supposed to come to shul. You're supposed to hear the Ten Commandments. And you're supposed to, they're supposed to be meaningful, meaningful for you. I mean, would you say that you were inspired yesterday in shul reading the Ten Commandments? 
Was it like earth-shattering revelation for you? That's like the one plus one equals two. That's my question. Right. To me, that's like the one plus one equals two. All right? But in your example, if Einstein, after developing the theory of relativity, spoke to a, a, a college class on physics and said that would be ridiculous. Right. But if Albert Einstein was talking to a kindergarten class, right? Okay. You'd have to start with one plus one. But we're not two. a kindergarten class. We are not, but the people then were. But the Torah is being being taught to us every year anew. We're not no, reading to the us. Torah as a sentimental a relic of the ancient history. We're reading the Torah as a modern day teaching from God being taught to us in real time. So why is the Ten Commandments relevant today? And that's my question to you. Okay. Imagine if I could if I could share with you an idea that would make the idea of the Ten Commandments so so great, so inspiring, that it would actually be something that you and I both struggle with to this very day. I'd like to share with you an idea that is so profound about the Ten Commandments, about the revelation of, Mount, of, of God at Mount Sinai, giving the Torah to, to, to the Jews on Mount Sinai 3,000 years ago, that is something which is so meaningful that it still inspires me to this very day, and I hope it will inspire you too. Ready? Go ahead, go. Challenge, right? Inspire me, Rabbi. Can I inspire the CEO? (laughs) Down-to-earth, rational, common-sense guy. Let's see if I can do this. Good. The challenge is on. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Sunday Schmooze with the Rabbi and the CEO. Mitch Zachary is the CEO of Zachary Financial Consultants. I'm Rabbi David Vigler of Chabad Palm Beach Gardens, where you'll find traditional Jewish values for contemporary cosmopolitan and sophisticated Jews just like you. Learn about us online at jewishgardens.com. That's jewishgardens.com. And send me an email. I would love to hear from you to rabbi at jewishgardens.com. That's rabbi at jewishgardens.com. What was extraordinary about the revelation of Mount Sinai wasn't necessarily the content of the speech as much as it was the setting in which it took place. This was the ultimate shattering of the glass ceiling that was impassable heretofore. You see, for the first 2,448 years since the creation of the world, since Adam and Eve, for the first 2,448 years, there was a, an iron curtain separating between heaven and earth. Earth was the domain of physical man, and heaven was the domain of God. Holiness was up in the heavens, and earth was a place of spiritual darkness. There was no way to make anything holy to bring or manifest God down in this physical world. You couldn't sanctify anything. Man had no place in heaven, and heaven had no place on earth. The novelty of the Ten Commandments, the revelation of Mount Sinai, what makes this passage in Torah the most fundamental, game-changing text, not only in the Torah, but in the history of the world and humanity in general, is the opening words of the Ten Commandments, Vayered Hashem al-Arsinai, and God Himself descended upon Mount Sinai. This was the first time that heaven comes down to earth, literally shattering 
the iron curtain that divided the two. From this moment on, for the rest of time, man would be able, through his actions, to bring holiness down to this world. To take a physical object and make it holy by using it for a mitzvah. For example, Shabbos, right? How do we sanctify the Shabbos? With something called Kiddush. Kiddush means to sanctify. We make Kiddush on wine. What we're doing is we're taking wine and we're blessing the wine. The wine actually becomes holy as it expresses within itself the holiness of Shabbat and the presence of God. So what you're doing is, is that the wine is now becoming sanctified. When you take leather from a cow and you make it into parchment and you write with ink upon the parchment letters Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one then that parchment actually becomes holy to the point that you're not allowed to bring it into a bathroom it's a grave sin to step on it if you drop it on the floor you've got to fast for an entire day that's because the physical leather has now become holy and that Mitch that is the novelty of the revelation of Mount Sinai. It's what gave mankind his mission statement in, in tasking him with the incredible task of making this world holy, of making this world a home for God. Well, a couple of questions for you, Rabbi, if you don't mind. I'm not there. I'm not inspired yet. <laughs> okay. All right? Sorry. <laughs> Wouldn't make that easy for me, right? <laughs> right. You're not inspired yet. So... What about the efforts of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to make the world holy? Great question, Mitch. Great question. So, Was that not good enough? They tried, but they were not able to sustain any holiness in this world. Okay? I'll give an example. So, you remember when Abraham wants to find a wife for his son Isaac, right? What does he do? He sends his servant to find him a wife from his, you know, from his family. And he makes him take an oath, right? You're not going to like this, but you know what he makes him take an oath on? You know, have you ever heard the expression, 10 fingers in the Holy Torah? When you take an oath holding a Torah scroll, mm -hmm. right? So that's one way to make an oath is holding a Torah scroll. He didn't have a Torah scroll. He, he made him hold something which was the only thing that he could, that was the closest thing to oh, holy. Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah, you know I what remember, I mean. I remember. It says, well, I'm going to use the euphemism. Yeah. He yeah. made him uh, put his hand beneath his thigh. Right, right. That's a so reference. So he could touch where he was circumcised. Exactly. Because that, that was the only holy place. That was the only holy thing in this world, or the closest thing to holiness in this world. Now you see how uncomfortable that is well you know it, but that was what he tried you know what? To i'm almost okay with that because i i also remember the story with joseph when he went to the show his brothers who he really was he undresses himself okay but that was so an identification that was identification right. right it wasn't sanctity when you want to sanctify an oath and make it un, unchangeable and unconditional he had him hold something which was as close as he could get to holiness, and that was the place that he was circumcised, right? There wasn't anything in this world which was like a book or a manuscript or a, some sort of a, a papyrus that was considered holy. There wasn't such a thing because holiness wasn't really able to be manifest in this world. I'll give you another quick example. So Jacob, the, the Torah tells us, Jacob laid to fill in. How did he do that? 
he basically he had the meditations of the tefillin, but he used certain sticks. I'm not going to get into the details. There were certain sticks, and the Torah tells us that the sticks that he used, as long as he meditated with them, they were holy. But the moment that he stopped meditating, they became mundane all over again because the holiness was not retained in this physical world. That all changed. That all changed when the Torah was given. And I'll give you one final example. So do you remember how a person was identified as a Jew before the Torah was given? Like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's days. It was a Jew by choice. You simply had to opt in or opt out. Think about it. Abraham has two sons, right? They are Ishmael and Isaac, right? Ishmael is the father of the Arabs. Isaac is the father of the Jews. Now, if Judaism was inherited, then that means all the Arabs are Jews. Same thing with the next generation when Isaac has two sons, Esau, which is the Christians, and Jacob, which is the Jews. If Judaism was inherited, then all the Christians would be Jews today, right? right. It wasn't that way. It was an opt-in, opt-out system that was uh, relating to, to uh, monotheism. If you chose to become a monotheist, you became a Jew. If you didn't become a monotheist, you're not a Jew, right? But what happens after the Torah is given? The moment the Torah gets given, Judaism becomes biologically inherited. If your mother's Jewish, from this moment on, you're a Jew. If your mother's not Jewish, then you're not a Jew, okay, unless you convert and you go through the mikvah process. But my point is, is that it became engraved in our DNA. being, Being Jewish, being chosen as a Jew, was something that was stamped into our biology and hence inherited. That was the novelty of the Ten Commandments, where God allowed mankind the ability to make this physical world a place where godliness could be contained and retained to be able to illuminate this lowly physical world with the presence of God. So why why the Jews, Rabbi? That's why we are the chosen people. This is exactly the meaning of the chosen people. Chosen for what? Persecution. Well, you might say chosen for persecution. <laughs> Isn't that from a movie somewhere like Tevye, know. the Milkman or something? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sounds familiar, right? But chosen really means, Mitch, remember this is the, the Sunday Shmooze. We're separating the facts from the fiction and the Bubba Mice is from the bottom line. Chosen doesn't mean chosen for persecution. Chosen means for a mission. What's that mission? The Jewish people have been chosen to bring holiness down into this world. How do we do that? Through the 613 commandments of the Torah. When we take a glass of wine and we make a blessing over it before Shabbos, the wine becomes holy. When you make $500,000 and you you give 10% of that away to charity, then that $50,000 becomes holy. In fact, the whole $500,000 becomes holy because you've given your portion, your share to God, right? When you take wool and you turn it into a talus, you take leather and you turn it into a mezuzah, you take trees and turn them into, into Torah books, right? You make a yarmulke, you make, uh, you, you make a kosher kitchen. Whatever you're doing, whenever you use a physical object for a mitzvah, one of the 613 commandments, the will of God, then that object becomes holy. And that's what the Jews are chosen for. Now you're starting to inspire me. Ah, now you're getting there. Now, Mitch, now <laughs> I'm so excited. This is great. Now you're getting there. Thank you. Okay. But do you realize why the Ten Commandments are so meaningful now? So for me, what brings me happiness, what I've learned from you, is tikkun alam. 
repairing a, a broken world. And I don't, that should not be just a Jewish thing, right? That should be everybody in the world should feel that way. But certainly as a Jew, that's the message I get from the Torah, from the Ten Commandments, but I guess from the Torah in total, that our, we, have, we were put here for a purpose, in each one of our purpose, not just the Jews, Rabbi. Every human being, I believe, was put on this earth for a purpose. The purpose is to do mitzvahs. You don't have to be a Jew to do a mitzvah, obviously. And to make the world a better place for everybody else. Now, beautiful point. I just want to modify slightly or quantify. When you say tikkun olam is our purpose in this world, which means to repair this world, that doesn't necessarily mean to repair the world in terms of social liberty and justice. It doesn't only mean to make this world uh, a comfortable, uh, peaceful place. That actually is the, is the mission of all of mankind. The specific mission of the Jew, the tikkun olam of the Jew, is to make this world not just a functional place, but a holy place. That is the mission that began at the Ten Commandments, yesterday's Torah reading. On Mount Sinai, when God comes down in the mountain, the first time He reveals Himself, it wasn't God just coming up and saying one plus one equals two, stating the obvious. He was actually revealing Himself in this world to the point that the mountain became holy. The physical mountain, they couldn't touch the mountain, we read in the Torah, right? If mm -hmm. they touched the mountain, they would die because godliness was manifest in this world. Our mission, tikkun olam, is to make this world illuminated with the holiness of God, to make it holy. That's what we're doing here. Okay, so now we got less than three minutes before our break. How, tell our listeners, Emmy, how do we make this world a holy place? So I want to encourage our listeners to to check out our community, to come visit the Chabad Palm Beach Gardens. We have an exciting, a plethora of programs, classes, activities coming up this season, starting just in a couple weeks time. We are bringing so many interesting speakers and entertainers that, that can engage your Jewish observance to help you feel a part of this Jewish community, to help you feel a part of the Jewish nation, the chosen people, to bring holiness into your life and into your home. I mean, we're bringing a survivor from the SS St. Louis, from the ship that was turned away. That's amazing. Uh, you know, well, how, many, how many years ago that was? We're bringing... Um, Fortune 500 motivational speaker. We're bringing a, the commander of the Entebbe raid operation. Wow. We're bringing the founder of Israel's space mission, the mission to Israel's space very agency. very interesting, but how does that make us holier? Because what happens is all these people are coming to speak to the community on Shabbos. They're coming to speak on Shabbos and you'll be able to experience the holiness of Shabbat, not just in front of a TV screen at home, but you'll be able to experience it together with the Jewish community, together with your family, be inspired by Torah thought, by kosher food, by a message of holiness. We have a lot of classes from beginners and we've got a Hebrew reading crash course. We're starting this uh, in, in a couple of weeks time in October, which is, uh, which is a mission to finish, to, to master Hebrew in five sessions before the end of the decade. You can still master Hebrew before the end of this decade, all the way through to advanced Talmudic philosophy and, and Hasidic uh, Jewish mysticism. All of that is taking place here at the Chabad of Hamish Gardens. We want to encourage you to participate. Check out our website at jewishgardens.com. That's www.jewishgardens.com. But even more importantly, Mitch, I want to tell you this, that none of us has a life which is purposeless. We can so easily fall into a depression thinking that nobody needs me. 
The Ten Commandments inspires us to realize that God needs you. God is desperate for your contribution to society, to mankind, to this world, because there's a piece of this world that only you can illuminate. You are needed. You are important. God values your presence. And I find that so meaningful, so inspirational. Now I'm inspired. Now you did it. Thank it you. got to a slow start, but you got me there. Thank you, man. I'm inspired. Folks, let's be inspired by the message of the Ten Commandments to find our place, our purpose in this world, and to wake up every morning with the realization that I matter, I count, and I'm here on a specific purpose. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more inspirational insights on the Ten Commandments coming up right after this.